0: Aaron Carpenter is the founder of Mental Health Marketing, a company that helps mental health professionals and organizations reach their target audience and make a positive impact. Aaron has first-hand experience in how to do marketing which will help your business not only grow, but also make a real difference for your customers and clients. This episode, you'll learn how to market your business the right way to create more value for your customers and clients by niching down, as well as how to manage and scale remote teams.
1: grew up, uh, both my parents were professional bodybuilders. My dad uh, built a gym and then built another one and another one with investors. They were million dollar gyms. So it's kind of a bigger business. And as a kid growing up, um, it was really cool to see him working out of a gym, building his clients. And uh, some of them were pretty influential people uh, in in our city. And uh, some of them had some coin. So he was able to pretty quickly have some investors go, hey, you should like just get, make your own gym and stop training out of this other gym. Um, and so I got to see him build that whole thing. Um, but I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart. Like I was telling some people this story the other day. I was uh, maybe in third grade or fourth grade or something. And uh, I've always been a big gamer, you know, and I bought like the magazines that would have like the cheat codes in the back. And I would take those to school and on the bus, I would sell codes for like 50 cents a pop. that's how I would kind of make a little coin. And uh, that's like my first foray into entrepreneurship. Um, But yeah, when I went to university, I was already working on my agency. And so when you're going to school for business, they'll often be like, create a hypothetical business and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I actually have one. Like I'm just going to write all that down. Right. And then use that <laughs> the for real the school numbers, assignments and the stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, help me out. Like, let's just build this together. So um, yeah. So that's kind of how I got started and uh, just been uh, building the agency ever since.
0: Yeah. I- I'm curious because for me, I've studied a business degree. I've studied a music degree and I- I've found that the lecturers or the people in the university, they don't really have hands-on experience. All their experience is, like you said, theoretical, right? And it's the idea of this is how it goes. And if it goes bad, then you do this, you can do that. But you said you had a real agency running. Did you find any kind of useful lecturers in there or useful people in the university that helped you kind of grow your business or showed you a different perspective on things?
1: Oh yeah, all the time. In fact, I remember I was in uh, one of my second public speaking classes and... um one of the, one of the, one of my colleagues, one of the students asked me like, so you have your own business? And I was like, yeah. And that's all you do for work. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, what are you doing here? And (laughs) my response was, honestly, I get some of my best ideas just being in this environment, being here, like hearing to professors lecture, being around other students who are building things and stuff. Like it's a great environment for an entrepreneur. Um, There's been a lot of, um, I don't know. call it hate maybe from different like popular uh, public figures around university and stuff like that i think you know where they're just saying yeah. like who needs it now you got chat gpt and youtube and all this stuff yeah i don't know man like self-learning is very cool and a lot of people are very very good at it but there's still something there's some magic in the uh going to a university and being surrounded by all those people who are studying and you know um colleagues so yeah, yeah. I mean, you go there and
0: it's the network as well, isn't it? Everybody's in the same mindset as you. Everybody that you're you're around in your lectures, you're like, right, these people care about business to some degree more than the average person. So I guess it's that kind of environment does help you to, you know, get ideas bounced around and get a different perspective. So, so seeing as you started your business before you went to uni, normally I'm asking people, you know, oh, when was the moment you decided to become an entrepreneur? But for you, you said it's always been in you what was like day one of you starting your agency? Like you must've been 16, 17, how old would you have been?
1: Yeah, um, I think it was like 23. Oh, okay. And yeah, and uh, cause I, I studied several different subjects. I didn't go straight into business like on a linear path. I tried to put myself through flight school by serving tables and that math did not add up. I did not have enough money to do that. I was putting myself through university, so, but it was, it was a great time. Um, studied computer science for a little while, and I was like, I'm not going to want to just build computers or sit on computers all day, every day. It uh, turns out I do, actually, because that's what I do now. But um, I went into business because I wanted to, to explore that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the path wasn't exactly linear. But when I built the business, I mean, there's a very special feeling you get when you land your first gig. And it's just from your work, you know? Uh, so I remember the first gig I got was this guy who made these little gifts. They're like what you would find in a gift shop in, you know, a Caribbean city or something like finding seashells in a mesh bag and a scoop. And it was really weird stuff, but he was my first client and I built his site and made it so he could uh, sell them online. And uh, I framed my first dollar, I took the check to the bank had them cash it, you have them give me a dollar so I could frame that, have it up my office, still have it, uh, for good luck. But yeah, that's that was kind of like so and it's always been awesome. Like it just it feels great to just be providing for myself and making jobs to provide for others. I feel like that's kind of an itch that entrepreneurship scratches. But it's also like you're you're far more in control and responsible for what happens day to day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, for some people that can be pretty scary, especially when they start because you don't know what you don't know and you're trying to make it work. Right. Yeah. And, and how did you kind of figure
0: out how to do these things? You know, cause I'm assuming when you were doing it, it's not like now where we had YouTube and you could just go on YouTube and go like, Hey, right. I'm going to go look at how to market things online, how to build a, a website, all that kind of stuff. How did you kind of piece it all together to help this guy out to get his, his products online?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. So when I was like, uh, maybe 13 or 14 or something, I was already building my own computers again, because I liked to game and stuff, but I was also really interested in that. And uh, my cousin came over one day and wrote a little bit of HTML in Notepad and then saved it down as a .HTML and opened it in a browser. And I was like, just blew my mind. I was like, you could do that? That's a thing? And so I just tinkered with it from there. So my business is very much like, a hobby, which turned into a career, which turned into an agency, right? Like that, that sort of like thing that I really love to do has created revenue for me. Um, so that, that's kind of what the journey was like in terms of like why I started the business. But, um, I think I've also always kind of had a mind for it. Like I do think laterally uh, for problems and I'm an analytical thinker. So I see trends very quickly. And so business is a lot of that business is figuring out who, who should I be talking to that would refer me more work, right? And you just think like that already. It's not something that you need to be told. Yeah. Fair enough. So I'm wondering
0: normally when people start a business it's normally just them or just them and their co-founders. So I'm assuming in your case, it was just you. Mm. So now I'm assuming you have employees and all that kind of stuff when did you decide to hire your first employee? Was it cause you were just too busy or you just had too much work coming in? And you know, what was the first kind of hire that you made to kind of lighten the load for yourself?
1: Yeah. So it was because I was too busy. I, I really had reached a point where I realized there were only 24 hours in a single day, unfortunately. And so I needed someone else to help me pull what I was, uh, what work I was getting into the agency. Um, and so I was concerned that if I hired somebody that they would be so expensive that I wouldn't be able to afford them, uh, especially in web development. And so what I did is I sat down and created a spreadsheet. And what I realized was I'm gonna be paying them a fair amount of money, but for every hour they free up, I'm gonna be able to charge even more money back to the clients. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm full up on work. And so it actually made it so that we could earn more money Um, bottom line was better after the first hire, but I did have to sit down and put the numbers into a spreadsheet, like realistic numbers and look at it and like plan for what's worst case. And does it even work that way? And it did. So then I felt much more comfortable. Um, and then the first hire that I did, I ended up doing hiring the exact same way for everybody else. After that, I teach this now to other agencies too, which is uh, this idea of a work placement exercise. At least that's what I call it. So it's not, it's not a, um, It's not a unique idea necessarily, but the way I do it kind of is. So the idea is that you would have somebody who wants to work for you complete a set of work, but it isn't actual client work. It's a benchmark exercise that you put together. So for a web developer, I created an exercise where I just made a paragraph and it was a request from a client, a hypothetical one for a dog boarding and grooming facility, because that was one of the first accounts that I got. And uh, I just said in there, hey, I want you to create a services section on my homepage. I want it to include these things and maybe that other thing. And um, yeah, interested in your thoughts. So I I, uh, took that and then I gave it to my first applicant. And I was like, I want you to write up the content. I want you to design it. And I want you to log into this development area I've set up and actually build it. The whole activity should take someone who has some basic skills, roughly an hour, maybe. Um, But I know how much I can charge for that. So my rate to you is gonna be based on how long that takes. So I want you to record your time in the writing, the design and the development. And then I want you to reply when you're done with your times, what you like the most and what you like the least. And my rate offered to you is gonna be based on how long that took you, but be honest, Cause if you're not in the first week here, I'm going to know that you weren't being honest because these are basic skills. And so I'll be able to see if you're able to keep up pace that way. My applicants are honest. They know that the rates non-negotiable. They don't ask me a rates like this is what you're worth at my agency right now too. Um, and then the right now part is, uh, me referring to once a year we do performance reviews. So like, are you actually churning more work than you did last year? Cool. Here's a raise based on exactly how much revenue you brought into the business based on the design and development work you've been doing. So they're all in like positively incentivized to be showing up, getting work done, getting it done efficiently, but not cutting corners because then the client's not happy and then it takes more time.
0: And how long ago was it when you hired your first employee? Shoot man,
1: uh, 2012 oh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, been in
0: business a while. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's yeah. really interesting. Is that person still in the business now or have they moved on to other places?
1: They were up until like two months ago. So that person, Josh was with me for a very long time, mm. um, but he's moved on. He's kind of like wants to go more of like a traditional career corporate route. Yeah. So he is now, do, exploring other opportunities. But yeah, he was with me for a very long time. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's
0: a good sign that you're running a good business if people want to stay with you for, you know, just under or just over a decade, because, you know, a lot of people struggle to retain employees, but you've been able to do that in a fantastic way. And uh, one thing I want to talk about is actually what your agency does, which is very, very niche marketing at the moment. It's even in the name of your company, Mental Health Marketing. So i I'll kind of give my brief understanding of it, but you'll give a much more in-depth answer. You guys help psychiatric practices and mental health services to market themselves better. That's the best way I can describe it, but you're the expert here. So
1: please yeah, tell man. the listener. You nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what we do. Um, after I had been in business for a couple of years, I met this guy, Joe Sanek uh, in Michigan. He also is from my same hometown, Traverse City, Michigan. Um, Joe was a second generation private practice owner. So his, uh, I believe it was his dad started the private practice. He took it over. Um, and he was, he had created this podcast called practice of the practice. Mm. The reason he created this podcast was because most mental health clinicians go to school, they achieve their masters or doctorate. They do supervisory hours outside of school and then. Then what? Then they're they either work for a, another practice or they want to start their own. But unfortunately, they didn't take a single business course. They have no idea how to file a DBA or an LLC or even get their you know business tax identification stuff done. Mm. Business basics. Yeah. So he built this podcast to talk about those things and help people grow. I met him. I did his logo, his website. It's still the same logo and website today. Joe, if you're listening, you really need to reach out to me to get that redone. Um, <laughs> And I started working with mental health clinicians and, um, yeah, there's a real need for it because a lot of them try to do it themselves. But, um, in my experience, most therapists really don't like technology that much. They're more focused on keeping things human. And, um, so that's kind of where we fit in. I've been working with them for roughly 10 years now and mental health marketing is the specialized service that simply focuses on mental health professionals.
0: And how do mental health kind of practices and clinicians differ from, you know, say a SaaS website or a product-based website, you know, or a Shopify store? What, what is it that you have to put in mind or keep in mind when you're building out their kind of online presence and their marketing
1: kind of plan? Yeah, that's a great question. Because like most businesses, I mean, most creative agencies that I talk to really struggle with um, narrowing down like who they're doing business with. yeah, And uh, so I've come up with some ways to explain the real value in that. But um, the, usually what I what I hear is this sort of tension and anxiety around not wanting to focus down too much because they feel like they won't get any business then. Mm-hmm. Like nobody will be calling them because they've narrowed down so much. They think like, oh, well mental health. Yeah, I could do that, but I've only had one or two of those accounts out of like the 50 accounts I've had. So am I only going to get one or two accounts a year? Mm. And the truth is actually the opposite, right? Because if you're trying to be something for everybody, you're only sort of good at all of those things. And if you're running an agency and you're listening to this, you might be thinking, well, I can make killer websites. Doesn't matter what business. Sure. And good on you. But because we focus on mental health as a, for instance, I know exactly what questions to ask them to get through discovery on a website way quicker, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are going to be the same every single time. It's the same type of project, so mm. we can also create more value by solving more specific problems to them. And all I have to do is solve it one time. It's not a different project where I have to relearn a whole different industry and figure out what their problems are and then create those solutions within the website. Um, so specifically for mental health clinicians, there's almost always a discussion about insurance, Mm -hmm. sliding scale, what type of fees, or if they're private pay, what type of specialty uh, populations they serve, what types of issues they have. And then beyond all of that, because I work in that industry so much as a vendor and a service provider, I know what's going on in their industry. So I can talk with them about, yeah, you know, as a group practice, it's real tough hanging on to therapists because there's such a demand for mental health right now that all your clinicians are wanting to strike out on their own. I'm talking to those people too. Like I hear those, those conversations every day. Right. So I know what's going on with you group private practice owner. Right. And so here are some strategies that I thought of to help retain talent, to help keep them in house. Right. Um, And so it just be, it, it makes it way easier to work because you know what's happening and you have already solved most of the problems and it allows you to charge more money because you are an industry expert for them. They do get higher quality work out of you because you specialize in their industry. Yeah. And
0: even though your agency is really kind of niche focused, there's still, you know, those core principles that apply to everybody. So I'm wondering, do you build kind of lead magnets and sales funnels for these people as well at the same time as building their website? Like I'm, I'm curious about, you know, kind of what parts of the, the marketing process you help them with.
1: Yeah. I mean, the main thing we focus on is the business building. So we have something called the private practice planner, which right. is a great big old guide that we created from, if you want to start a private practice, these are the first steps you need to do. Here's what you should consider when you're choosing an office all the way up to a group, uh, multiple location group, private practice, where there's this cycle. Uh, again, this is a benefit of, of niching down into a specific industry. Um, there is a cycle in this particular industry where a group practice, which is where most of them are trying to build to is, uh, they get office space. Then they need to fill the offices with therapists. Then they need to fill the therapist caseload. Then they need more office space. And there's this sort of flywheel effect, right? Office then therapist, then caseload. And so there's their priorities shift in that cycle throughout any given year, depending on how their business is growing. Um, On top of that, there's a bit of a cycle where during the colder winter months in the United States, people tend to get a little bit more depressed. And so they tend to reach out to therapists more often. Uh, During the bright summery days, it's kind of less in demand. So there is this dynamic that you start to understand. And um, as a service provider to that industry, you can start to plan your business around that as well. You know, Anticipate when business is gonna get busier um, and develop solutions for the your clients that are experiencing those dynamics
0: Mm. and I really just thought of this just now but your dad was a business owner and he had you know like a location-based investment kind of backed business you're an agency owner but you know you're you're helping people with location-based you know customer focused businesses as well and a gym is a similar thing and I'm wondering for you how much of that do you think you kind of subconsciously picked up from your dad about how to kind of run and operate a business from
1: watching him do it growing up? Yeah, I mean, quite a lot. I attribute a lot of my business sense from my childhood and growing up, seeing a business get built around me, yeah. um, you know, uh, but there's also it, it's, it's really all kind of knitted together now with experience at other businesses after that, um, and some startups experiences at the university, um, and then experiences that I've had in my own business. So there's just kind of like this large library of information that I guess I have to draw off of whenever I'm making a decision about what a good direction is like. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way I could put that.
0: Yeah. And I guess, you know, good directions are, you know, great when they happen consistently, but there's sometimes where things might go a bit wrong. I wonder if you could give me an example of a time where things went not so well for you. You know, maybe you made like a wrong call with a client or you kind of did something a bit wrong or you had to fire somebody. And like, how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, I would say the time that comes to mind that I feel like is most shareable and relatable would be. I started my agency in Michigan in Traverse City Michigan where I my hometown and eventually I made the decision to move from there to Charleston South Carolina where I'm talking to you uh now. And main reason was like weather and tech scene. Like the tech scene was not great in Traverse City at the time. It's gotten better. Um here it was way way better. So uh we moved down here and the problem was that uh I thought I could manage my team easily remotely because lots of agencies do that. And the issue that I ran into was that they were, that, that that is a doable thing, but that my team was used to me as the boss being in the office, being a source of inspiration, being able to hold them accountable of coming in and attendance and that sort of a thing and being on time. Um, and so that started to erode after the first like six months or so of being away and I had to let several people go because they just were not contributing to the business anymore. And I had to do it over zoom. And for me, that was like, ugh, killer. I like, I, uh, yeah, I almost wanted to fly up there to do it in person. Cause that's how, that's how I like to do business. Right. But I mean, it wasn't time to do that decision had to be made and, um, I was really wrestling with it for a little while. And I talked with a uh, colleague of mine who happens to run a successful um, law firm in the same town, uh, in IP law. And he was like, look, man, you got to think about it. Like, who are your stakeholders? There's you, but there's, and in your team, but there's also your clients, like your other clients. Are they benefiting from you not making this decision? Right? And I was like, nah, they're they would be better off if I made this decision. He's like, well, then you got to do it. You know, just think about like the whole and not just, you know, I didn't want to let these people go. They got lives and families and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's business, you know, so you got to get it done.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious for you, you thought that managing a remote team would be kind of, you know, a little bit different, but you know, not as hard, but what was it that changed apart from you being there and making people accountable? Was there different ways you had to communicate? Was it a bit hard to have a grip on
1: you know, what was going on in the business? I attribute that problem, I just call it a problem, but I attribute that that shift in dynamic mainly due to the fact that the management style changed because I used to be there and now I'm not. Mm. And so all of the behaviors around that were attributable to me not being at the office. Like I couldn't rightly explain any of those things. Had I stayed there, I wouldn't have expected those things to continue, like to have started to happen and evolve the way that they did. Mm. Um, comfortably managing the agency remotely now almost every agency that i talk to operates in that capacity like with contractors too so you know not a tough thing but i think it's easier to start doing it remotely than it is to take a traditional agency and and then evolve it into a remote situation right it's different dynamic like working in an office versus working from home we tried it several different ways multiple times and like every time it was rough for everyone. Cause it would start where if you were in the office, the team would be like, it would be awesome if we could work from home. This yeah. is all pre-COVID, yeah. right? So it'd be awesome if we could work from home. And then you do that. And then suddenly you find they have motivational issues and they're right. very distracted cause they're at home. Yeah. And then they're like, I miss being in the office and the office culture. Then you bring them back in there and they're like, but it would be great if I could work from home. And you're like, all right guys, make up your mind.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, to kind of manage an employee and i found out quite recently from somebody who's like a i guess they're world renowned i don't know but a very big person in the kind of people management or thought leader space around this kind of thinking is that you don't manage people you manage things and processes He said if you try to manage people it would always kind of lead to problems because they feel like you're interfering in their life as opposed to helping them with their work type thing if that makes any sense
1: I think that's spot on. Yeah. In fact, most of the systems that I have set up, like my, um, incentive based pay based on performance is all set up to where it's like, all right, you do your work whenever you like for my contractors do your work whenever you want to, whatever hours, I don't care. Just don't do client communications between like outside of nine to five because I don't want them to be trained to think that like they could just email us at midnight and we'll be available like a 24 seven, that's not real. But um, otherwise, you know, I don't care how you solve problems. You have lots of creative latitude, but um, at the end of the day, we need to make money. So I want to make that as transparent as possible with them. So like a performance review includes here are all the projects that you worked on. Here's how much time it took. Here's how much you were paid based on that time. And here's how much revenue we made. So if you're doing better than last year, I'm paying you more money and I'm putting all the numbers right in front of you, right? Um, And if you're not, you're not. But then if you're not, like, I remember when I first introduced this system to the team, um, one of my team members asked, well, what happens if we do more poorly? And I was like, well, first of all, if over the course of a year you get worse at your job, I mean, there's going to be some red flags along the way. We're probably going to have conversations and it's unlikely we'll be doing a performance review with you because you like clearly your heart's not in it anymore, right? You can at least maintain the same, but like, especially in my industry, you build more design skills, more development skills over time. You just get faster at your job and technology gets easier. So, you know, you can also produce more that way. Uh, So, yeah. So I think uh, another good example of that is this client, um, we'll call him Jeff, to protect uh, the innocent. But this guy was a um, family entertainment center counselor. He, uh, or consultant, he would work with businesses that do like bowling, laser tag restaurants, right? Like that type of stuff. And he had a way that he liked to do websites. Um, And it was not a great way to build websites. It really was a clunky process. It was very difficult for us, but he wanted to do it. He wanted us to perform the work for him, but he wanted to do it his way. Eventually, we had to part ways. And during that time, I remember um, the first guy I hired and I had a conversation about it. And he's like, we need to train Jeff. We need to train him to be a better client. And I was like, the thing is, man, you can't do that. You just can't train a client. You can ask things of them, but the person's just going to be the person. We can change our systems and different things around them. But if at the end of the day they're just not a good client for us, then we got to go different ways, and that's what happened with uh, this guy and us. You know, it's not the, it wasn't um, a bad thing to not be doing business with that person anymore. It just was not a good fit. Yeah,
0: I was. I'm curious actually. I wonder if you can talk to me about client management as well as knowing, like you said, when to kind of fire a client or let a client go? And how do you get you know the right clients for you? Does that come from looking inwards first and knowing what you expect from a client? Or does that just come over time with trial and error?
1: I think for most agencies, most businesses, it's trial and error. If you're a startup, uh, you can do all the research you want and create like a buyer persona or an avatar, whatever you call it, and like mm-hmm. really try to identify your ideal client. But at the end of the day, you don't even really know who you appreciate doing business with until you start doing business with people. Yeah. Um, it, some people listening may be familiar with the book Traction and the oh, EOS like, system. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there, that talks a lot about it as well, where it, um, in, as part of that system, you identify who your ideal clients are and uh, who your ideal clients aren't. And what we ended up doing was just thinking back um, when we went through that exercise as a team, Um, I had everybody think back through all the clients we had that stood out remarkably as the worst and best clients we had. And then we discussed what attributes those clients had. And that's how we figured out who our ideal clients were, right? Um, the bad clients and all their attributes, those became red flags during sales and discovery process of if they start to exhibit anything, like they don't show up on time for the calls, they are not organized. They want to change our contract. Our contracts are contract, man. Like I would never go into another business and be like, yeah, I really like you and your services, but I need you to change how you do business. Like that's a huge red flag. Um, So we identified all those. And that is how we ended up getting to a place where it's very easy to know before we even get started, is this person going to be a good fit for our business? Yeah.
0: You're actually the second person I've had on the podcast that spoke about traction. And the fourth person I know who's actually, you know, mentioned it to me and, and mentioned a different part of it, actually. Everyone seems to be in different sections of that book. And I'm wondering for you, when you read traction where were you and then versus now what's the kind of change what's the difference apart from you know knowing what clients to look for did you change the way your teams were structured did you change the way you operated in your business that kind of thing
1: i think for me that book so the person that showed me that book first uh his name's jack and he owns a um, search engine optimization firm that i worked with for a number of years and uh we would have long sessions of chats in his office just about business and different things. We got along really well, but, uh, he showed me this book. And so I bought a copy, but I never really cracked it open. You know, it just kind of sat on a shelf. And, uh, the book itself is mainly useful for team based stuff. So once you have a small team, then it, ha- it has a set of activities and stuff you can go through to get everybody on the same page and also get a little bit more focus. I think that's a fair summarization of what it is. Um, So that's what it did for us. I would say like out of all the sections, it really was just as as a whole helped me get my vision to my team a little bit more clearly and gave them an opportunity to contribute to that vision so that I had buy-in from them so that everybody felt like they were a little bit more a part of a direction versus kind of just day-to-day taking orders, trying to figure out how to get the work done.
0: Mm. And now for you, a decade into your business, where is your kind of position in the business? What do you do day to day? How does that look, you know, and what do you do to kind of make sure everything's still kind of swimming along? I assume you're not, you know, as they say on the
1: front line, kind of fighting fires all the time. You're kind of big picture and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do a little bit of everything. Honestly, Um, I said before, I love design and development. And right now I'm still doing some of those things, but I kind of choose the projects that I work on, you know, I'm not just taking anything. Um, Not a lot of fires with clients, uh, but mainly I think that's because of our systems and identifying a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about on this uh, podcast episode. Um, I also do some coaching and consulting uh, through Digital Ocean to other creative agencies all over the world. So kind of taking my experiences and I really like this business, man. Like I like talking about it and working with other people on it. And so I take that expertise, uh, over there and just stay really in touch with other businesses that are getting started. We round table problems that they're having in like group calls or on one-on-ones where I'm mentoring them directly. Um, so that's, that's what a typical week looks like for me.
0: And what are some of the common problems that people come across in DigitalOcean? Because there's always something that most kind of people are, you know, tired of answering, but they realize that this is something that everyone needs help with type thing.
1: I mean. The main thing is sort of what we're talking about today. Most agencies really struggle by being what I would call a generalist agency. Um, You're trying to be something for everybody. And in this, especially in this line of business, it is crucial to pick a specific market because if you don't, what happens is you take a project. And I mean, when you start a business, you kind of have to take whatever projects you can get your hands on. That's just a fair point. but eventually you get to a point where you've hit a ceiling and your revenue is not increasing month to month. And it's because you do a project, it closes, they're done. Maybe you do some retainer work or something, but the bulk of the work is completed. And now you got to go hunt another one down. And you do that over and over again. And the messages when you're creating them, like for advertising or conversations, even it feels kind of vague because you know you don't really know how to talk to that manufacturing plant that does millions a year versus the mom and pop restaurant down the road that also wants to do work with you like they're two very different conversations um so the main thing is just pick my advice to any other agency but definitely any business pick a vertical like pick a specific population of problem you're trying to solve and get really really good at that thing ideally you have uh some interest in it as well so When I work with agencies, for instance, who haven't done this, what I'll I'll do is I'll pull up a tool. It's a simple spreadsheet. Anyone can just do this, um, where I have multiple columns in it for uh, do you understand their problem? Rank it on a scale of one to 10, this particular group that you have like in the far left column. So list all the groups in the far left column. And then do you understand their problems? Do they have coin? Like, do they actually have money to buy your services? What's your expertise? in that industry which is not the same as understanding their problems right like their marketing problems or whatever problem your business is solving is different than how much do you actually know about the market in the industry can you talk the talk if if someone gave you a slip of paper at a conference and said hey you can uh, get on stage for 30 minutes and talk about some subjects around this industry can you do that Uh, that that would be a nine or a ten out of ten um and then what's the opportunity So what's the market looking like? Is it going up or down? So in the United States, two years ago, real estate was on fire. Now it's like cooled off because of interest rates getting adjusted and everything. So um, you analyze those things and you figure out, oh, this is the niche. This is the spot for me. And you get started there. Then it becomes easier with your messaging and everything because I'm out here instead of saying, Hey, my name is Aaron Carpenter with Legendary Lion. Get your lion, share of the web. That's my original agency's name and slogan. Um, hey, do you guys know anybody who needs website work? Send them my way. Versus, hey, my name is Aaron Carpenter with Mental Health Marketing. We help mental professionals around the world grow their private practice from startup to group multiple location. We help people who help people. Yeah. That self-selecting clients right there. They hear yeah. what they need to hear, they go, Oh, that's not me. And
0: then for the right person, they go, Oh my gosh, I need to work with this guy. I haven't had anybody say that exact,
1: you know, sentence there, that exact tagline that's applying straight to me type thing. It just resonates. It hits different, right? It resonates more. It's like, oh, that must be the person for me, because they are do- they are for my industry solving my problem. Mm. And we are, we have a ton of experience in it. So it's just easier work for us. I do not want to take another rando project and have to learn that whole industry and all the different things, you know, that have to go into the site. I'd much rather just continue to solve the same problem for other people. And the the really interesting point there that most, uh, most agencies at least, but maybe many businesses miss is that when you do that, you can charge more money because you are a specialist, but, it scales. Like you do not need to be the brain in the room solving every problem now, right? Your team's not looking to you to go, Hey, what do we do for this project? And how do we organize this or whatever? It is a stage two private practice. These are the things we do for that. I already solved those problems. It's in the SOP, click this link, read that bit, go do the thing. That's what scales, you know, but you can't scale when you're trying to be everything for everybody. It's just not a scalable thing.
0: Yeah. And you spoke about, you know, the systems you had for employing people or that you have for employing people. So I'm wondering when you are scaling up, there are parts of it that you do have to kind of systemize and kind of have written down and, you know, have a procedure for what are the other kinds of parts of your business that you have kind of, you know, pretty much like this is section A, B, C. And once we get to C, we move them into this next category. What, what are those kind of sections? What
1: do they look like? So our manual, if if you're asking like, what are the main like ideas in it? Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so the main ideas kind of follow what we refer to as the client interaction model. There is a set of interactions Mm -hmm. that you go through with every client. It starts with an introductory call. Then you start to have discovery. Like you meet with them and figure out, okay, so tell me a little bit about your practice. Where you guys located? And what services do you provide? You get all that done. Um, And then you start on the design. Then you do development. Then you do deployment and launch the site and then you have ongoing marketing activities like seo and paid ads and stuff like that so each one of those um, things that i mentioned would be a section in our sop and within each section there's a lot of different things that we do and we have pretty um unique processes to many agencies that are all well defined in there um, that also makes it really easy to onboard a new person Cause if I hire somebody who's a designer, I just reference them to our SOP for this is how we do design. For instance, um, a lot of creative shops will do a whole website design. Like they'll do the homepage, the inside pages, the contact page, all of it. They'll do it all and then they'll go to the client and they'll be like, hey client, do you like it? And what they've essentially done is asked somebody who's not a trained designer to critique their work. And that's all backwards, right? It makes the client uncomfortable. Uh, The reason to be clear why a lot of agencies do that is that they want to get client buy-in. They want the client to be part of the process. They want to make it client centric and they want to like have the client sign off on the design. So they have to ask their opinion. We do it differently in a way that's much more healthy. So the way we do it is we only do a homepage and we do two, both of them work. They're both winner concepts, but we pull them both up side by side. And we ask the client, Hey, Which one of these do we feel like would resonate more with your target audience and why? And then we go through it section by section. We make some adjustments off of that. We get their buy-in critical feedback, but also we haven't watered down or damaged the design by them making suggestions that are founded in a very uninformed place when it comes to design and marketing online, right? Uh, so we do that and then we narrow down the look and feel that way. And then we just apply that to all the inside pages. We already have their sign off and then we roll into development. That's a, that's a method of design that I teach people now because it is way more effective and incidentally that doesn't have to only work for design. It's really effective for design, but it could be the same for programming solutions or something like that. You know, come with a couple of concepts and then talk with the client and keep them centered on which would resonate more with your problem or your audience keep the conversation there. We often have conversations with clients where they're like, "But I don't like that." And it's like, "Cool, but we're not selling to you." So, let's talk about the audience again, right? Like you're going to like it at the end cuz, you know, you're in control of this project too, but like what is your audience going to like? Yeah. I mean, Aaron, throughout this
0: whole podcast, you've been dropping absolute gems and it's got me thinking about you're teaching people now and, you know, in your business, so many different things. Where do you do your learning? Where do you find out all these little gems and bits of information that you're dropping now? Is it books, podcasts? Is it all
1: just through experience? just experience man i mean i mean yeah you know i haven't always been awesome at this like i did have some difficulties along the way and those were the things that helped me understand what didn't work but i've also done a lot of things that i know to be axioms of what does work and i've just collected those over time i could just Um, it's again, kind of like how my brain works. Like I just see this stuff, like trends of what is happening around me as I'm doing business. And so I have like a whole Google doc just filled with all these different ideas of, I know these to be like truthisms of running a creative agency or or things to be mindful of uh, when running a creative agency. And I just brain dump them there um, and reference them, you know, when I'm talking with other agencies and stuff, because it's part of working in a space for over 10 years, you start to really understand how that space works. Yeah. And you know? I
0: wonder if you could give me one or two of those truthisms. I know you've dropped quite a few in the course of this podcast, but I'm wondering what another few are since you've got a whole Google doc. I'm sure it's pages and pages long.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, let me let me pull it up. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's like, I have one here for just advantages of selecting a vertical since we've been talking about that. So, uh, choosing a vertical helps you sharpen up your, uh, KPIs, your key performance, um, indicators. So if you're just making sites cool, uh, but if you are marketing to a specific audience with a laser message, you can develop KPIs that are a little bit more specific to that. So how many events did we attend in the mental health space this year? How many leads do we get out of those? Um, how many leads are we getting off of our current Facebook campaign that focuses on this issue in the industry? Everything just gets a little bit more well-defined, and so it becomes easier to set goals. You also can um, create, like, goals around how many projects you have to sell a lot more clearly because, or how many units, depending on which business you run, because you have set packages and rates, you're not custom quoting everything like a generalist agency would, right? Like, oh, this website's gonna be $5,500 and that's because of all the things that we talked about. You're like, no, no, Uh, our package for what you need is 5,500, here's what's included and here's why all of those things are really important to you. Right? And I sell that same thing to everybody at your stage of business because it's exactly what you need to grow. Yeah. And and you're
0: interested in seeing people grow because, you know, the more money they make or the better their business is, they're going to come back to you and be like, right, I'm at stage two now. How do I get to stage three? And, you know, that's a lot of things that I feel like some marketers actually don't do. They're like, I can promise you this for this and then goodbye. Whereas it's like, I want to see you grow because as you grow, you're going to want to grow with me type thing.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, there's just other things too. Like um, I'm just looking through right now because some of these come up a lot, um, and they apply. A lot of these apply to business in general. But uh, like one here I have is uh, don't meet a client on their turf. So that's that's a that's an axiom because I have consistently met clients in my office or on Zoom calls, even which is kind of neutral ground, and the the vibe on that call and the positioning of authority and expertise is different than if you go meet someone at their place of business. Sometimes there's a time and place for that, um, especially with really big accounts and stuff. But generally though, you're meeting them at their place of business. They're gonna be distracted. They have dominion over that whole space. So you are not really an expert in their eyes anymore that they are going out to go see, mm. you're coming to them. And the whole power dynamic is completely different, right? Mm. So that's another one where I teach people like, don't just go business to business and like meet them there, get an office or set up some sort of like electronic media that you can have so that you meet on more even ground yeah. so that they take you more seriously and you can be more in control of the entire project. Um, yeah, just a bunch of stuff like that, man. Maybe I'll put out a book someday. Uh, I don't
0: know. I was going to say, Aaron, I'm going to have to have you on another podcast where you just sit through and talk through the list <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that list sounds like the gold mine that everyone wishes they had access to
1: type thing. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting topics that come up when I talk with other agencies that are just lessons that you've learned over time, Mm. you know? And so it becomes really easy to talk about these things and just know like, hey, man, I know this to be true. Mm. Ask me questions about it. But generally speaking, this is something you should know. You can fire clients. Mm. If a client sucks, you can fire them. That is totally an okay thing. Yeah. Not everybody knows that. You know, they just try to make it work and they're getting beat up by the worst client in the world. It's like, dude, just cut them loose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, well, that's the idea of a a
0: scarcity mindset versus a growth mindset. If you've got a growth mindset that you know that there'll be other clients and you can get them and they'll pay you better and they'll act better and all that kind of stuff, but if you're like, oh no, there's only a few clients to be had, then you're going to hold on to all the, you know, the good ones and the bad ones, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's totally true. And in fact, uh, before I had even heard the the scarcity and growth mindset um, terminology, uh, I was telling agencies that uh, if they develop tools and things like that, unless it's like super proprietary IP, feel free to give it away if you come up with those ideas all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it just gives you more business. I give away tools to these agencies all of the time. And uh, I've been asked before, like, well, what if someone rips it off and starts selling it? Well, I mean, you know what, that tool, is not going to be the same two or three years from now. It's going to be even better because it came from me. It was my idea. Yeah. Any copycat who tries to like get something out of that, man, it's a waste of my time to try to chase them down. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, if they can get something out of it, more power to you, man. But like, you really should be focused on doing you and like making your own stuff, cause that's, that's where the good life is at.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the good life, Aaron, I want to ask you a question that I ask every guest, but the answers are always different what is it about what you do that brings you
1: the most joy i mean the idea that we can design and build a website and when we put that on anyone anywhere in the world can see that it's pretty cool that's always kind of stuck with me as being pretty cool um but generally you know i like the idea that with our specific industry that um, we work with people who are m- helping other people feel and be better. Um, and we're enabling them to be able to do that in a more powerful way. And that's a, that's a good mission to be behind, you know, and to have, like that's a flag I'm, I'm really um, proud to carry. Where can the people find you online? Yeah, sure. So um, you could search for Aaron Carpenter, but I think there's like a famous footballer and or a musician and, or something like that that has my name. Um, but yeah, Aaron Carpenter Legendary Lion is my uh, creative agency and mental health marketing is our um, service offering to mental health clinicians, mentalhealthmarketing.com and legendaryline.com. And uh, that's, that's where I live. I'm going to be um, releasing videos that are focused on these business topics specifically to therapists too so that they can actually like hear me talk on a specific subject similar to the axioms i was talking about Um, that's where you could find me
0: thank you for listening to people explained new episodes come out every monday we would appreciate it if you gave us a review on apple podcasts and shared this episode with a friend